Okay. Please do it. In this episode of Three Real White Guys, we are going to go outside and take a picture of Kellen standing under a maple tree with his socks and sandals and a USA tank top. Only appropriate. Yes. I love it. On this week's episode of Three Real White Guys, the Republican implosion in Congress as Liz Cheney is ousted from her leadership position. Additionally, we will discuss democratic messaging in rural communities and how it's really missing the mark. And finally, our guest this week is none other than Lisa Fleshman. She is an author of the book, Boots on the Ground, about a ragtag group of campaign organizers in Iowa that helped take the Pete Buttigieg campaign from No Name Also Ran to winning the country's first caucus. It's going to be a fascinating episode. Stay with us. That was a fun episode. I haven't laughed my ass off that much in, in a while. It was nice to have Luis on the show. Uh, we need to get him back. There's no doubt about that. I think we've had a lot of good feedback from our listeners that he's a fantastic guest host. Yeah, um, I, I think we throw some of our long, like some of our listeners from the very beginning for a bit of a loop. Yeah, I think we Be, did. Because we, we, we go from these really serious conversations to talking about Maple syrup preserves. <laughs> well, I, no, I think maple syrup preserve heist heist trafficking, trafficking. Yes, trafficking. trafficking. Yes. We need to have a little bit of fun too. Right. Right. It, it can't be all stuffy wonky policy discussion and forum discussion. We have to have a little bit of fun too. Right? Right. I think there's enough podcasts out there that are that. That academic here's here's a story, here's a good guest. Yeah. We're ultimately we're still just three real white guys sitting in our damn garage drinking beer. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I've, I've, we started this because we wanted an outlet. We started this literally as, as we were watching democracy under attack on, on our TV. I remember that day, like it was yesterday. Um, I was literally finishing this garage during yeah, that time yeah. while the TV was on and I still had, I was, I was, uh, putting drywall up mm -hmm. for us to have this studio in here. Mm-hmm. But we, we need to have a little bit of fun, too. Uh, and, and we have had some, some kind of down and depressing episodes lately, some, some very sobering topics. Yeah. Despite the beer. <laughs> but By the way, we did get some feedback from uh, some of our listeners this week that we keep referring to this big-ass TV here that we're looking up at with what pictures we're looking at, and people want to see what we're looking at. So uh, we promise this week we, we have an Instagram account. Kellen, what is our Instagram, uh, what do you call that, username, I guess? In, yeah, it, our Instagram username is at three spelled out. No. What is it? No, it's TRWG pod. We have so many random names. Well, yeah, I, I, our Facebook and our Twitter align. It, they're both at rural three. Okay. Our Instagram is TRWG pod. TRWG pod. And as we're referring to, we've actually had requests to get pictures of Kellen in his USA tank top with his socks and sandals, uh, sweetly caressing the maple tree in, in our backyards. We need to give the people what they want, Mike. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to give you that this week. So if you're listening to us right now, go to our Instagram page and follow along. The pictures are all there for you as you're listening to the podcast. So... What the hell happened in the GOP with, in Congress this week? Like, are they all just Trumpers now at this point? Well, yes. But they're, they're pandering to a, a rapidly shrinking base. And, and 
Got we it. know, we know that there are those of you out there that listen to us religiously every week that are that are normal, sane, moderate Republicans, and we know this outrages you. It has to. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm without words. So what happened? What's the, what's the, I mean, there's some news here, right? Like it was about Liz Cheney got ousted. Yeah. So, right? so she was uh, voted to be removed from her leadership position. Because Why? she because she uh, has spoken out against Trump, and she's called a spade a spade, and basically says that it's wrong to lie to the American people, and that he should be held accountable for that. And she's broken from the party in that, and and this is this is why the moderate Republicans in government are scared to take any kind of a stand against this insanity because it's just it's mob mentality in there now. If you if you speak out against the great leader, they will come at you with pitchforks. And if if you want to put a pin in on the calendar, the it, there's a great political article that was published today. Uh, points to 16 days ago in Orlando, a, a press conference with all the House GOP leaders. So McCarthy was there, uh, Cheney was there. Uh, one of her colleagues came up and essentially gave her a warning. Hey, somebody in the audience is going to ask you about Donald Trump and the January 6th insurrection. And basically said, do whatever you can to pivot away from the from the question, right? She didn't take the advice, uh, essentially doubles down on what we know was her stance all along since that happened, uh, basically cited these ongoing criminal investigations when somebody asked her if Trump should be charged for inciting the, investi for inciting the insurrection, and, and basically dismissed that advice, right? And, and bucked the Republican Party line that McCarthy was touting, that the GOP leaders wanted to to put out there and really it, it from there within six 16 days a little more than two weeks she's gone she was the number three in number the house three yeah number three republicans that's right and and the the irony of all this is the person who's likely to replace her from an ideological perspective you go to look at the the, uh, the american conservative um oh, i can't remember the name of the, the guy that the the place that matt schlepp runs um their scoring of her is like a 78 lifetime conservative ranking, Hunter being the best. The person who's going to replace her is Elise Stefanik and has a 43. She's closer to the Democrats' lifetime in, term, in terms of voting history. But on this one key issue of backing the, the big lie and Donald Trump's whole idea that this election was stolen from him, Elise is in locks, is in... What's the phrase I'm looking for? Lockstep. Is in lockstep? Is that, yeah, is that what yeah. I'm looking for? Must be an American thing. With his, <laughs> We're not going back to Canada, Kellen. <laughs> We're not doing it. Liz Cheney vehemently supported Trump for most of his presidency. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, even on the really insane stuff, she stood behind him on that. So, uh, you know, her loyalty throughout that, I mean, she finally hit that point where now now we've we've lost a secure election we know it's secure everybody knows it's secure every lawsuit against it has failed she's doing the same thing and saying no right <laughs> you know this we're, we're not going to perpetuate this lie anymore we're, we're not going to have our democracy ruined by conspiracy theorists and they've turned on her so and by 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 all accounts from the social media sphere over the last couple of days and especially today, it sounds like Mitt Romney's next. Yeah. And you know what other social groups cast out people for doubting the the supreme leader? 
Colts. Colts do that. That's right. That's right. Right. Yeah. Colts. Well, not not political parties. Cults. cults. Right. So so let's go there because that that word that cult that idea of devotion and loyalty to a person or even to a to a party platform, right? Like the one thing I'm seeing as this trend, this this not trend. The one thing I'm seeing as the consistent with the Republican Party is we're getting online and, and people are vehemently debating us and vehemently taking a stance and they're not willing to budge from it, no matter how obvious and how, how, how many facts are actually given to them that are in complete opposition to their opinion. And they will not budge. There is this dedication, this loyalty, this devotion to the Republican party, even though their platform is through the gone there's no platform anymore right in 2020 the republic at the rnc they said there's no platform right just yeah, not they literally they couldn't vote on one right well they adopted the old one as a result of that yeah right they they adopted a memo that said it, it's unchanged something right along right those lines. but yeah. so they don't really care what the issues no. are that impact their it's just devotion to donald trump that's it it's it's that's where the party is it's easier to to just sort of uh, pledge devotion to nothing because then there's no political ramifications for it. Right. You can, right. you can change as the wind blows. Right. You, you're not, you're not saying these are the policies I stand for. This is what we need to do as a country to move forward. And then you don't have to worry about it when someone enacts your policies and shit hits the fan. Right. So how does that counter though with, with the criticism that Democrats get all the time for being wishy-washy for, for, for blowing with the wind and, and changing their opinion based on new facts and data? Like they changed too. Our, our, our party platform has changed well, dramatically over the last 25, 50 years. Save moderate Democrats, which at least for the ones that are actually elected to office, not the, not the average voter. Right. Because we know those are out there. It's a matter of what we've seen. It's what we've seen throughout this whole thing, is you know, casting out abject fact and science. I mean, right. we've seen it with COVID nineteen. We've seen it in response to various economic policies. They they just simply can't accept new facts, and I think that that's probably the difference between where the Republicans are right now. And where Democrats are right now, the wishy-washy thing in my mind isn't a negative. Right. It's a it's the ability to be able to interpret new information and develop a new position on something. Right. And that's where and, my devotion is. Yeah. Right. Like I I will sit and I'll die on that hill saying that you give me new facts and I learn that A plus B does not equal C, but it equals D. I'll listen to that and be like, oh, okay, maybe maybe it is C and a half. Maybe it is D. I'm I'm willing to take that information and and change my opinion based on new information. I mean, I, I have a very good friend who and, and a, well a coworker now uh, who used to be a staunch Republican. And and you know, for him, his issue was the changes to to Iowa's collective bargaining law. Oh, sure. That was the wake up call for him to really start looking at all of the policies. And, and, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of Republicans out there that are in the, in the same boat right now. They're, they're probably leaning more towards being an independent at this point because uh, they, they see both parties as being broken. They see their own party as being broken. Right. 
Um, so that's where we've got to really start to to hammer on this is is showing that no, <laughs> we we may not agree on these two particular wedge issues that you know little Tuckums likes to talk about on TV every night. Right. Uh, right, but right. but at the end of the day, we we both want our communities to thrive. We we want our schools to be good. We want our infrastructure to be good. Right. We want pay, good paying jobs. We want healthcare. We want infrastructure. Right, right. Our guest later on in the episode is a really a political activist, a, a, a campaign um, grassroots organizer uh, named Lisa Fleshman, who was part of the Buttigieg campaign and really was a big player in terms of Buttigieg winning or debatably winning Iowa. Uh, during the caucuses and in the little I've read of her book so far, I'm excited to read more of it. It really speaks to what you're talking about. Jacob is, is, is that exact idea of, of Republicans that are sort of moderate and these moderate Democrats finally looking at policy for the first time and getting off their asses and getting involved and paying attention. And, and, and I'll get a little political science on us again, the informed discussion. Right. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, but there's there there really two under two understood ways or or, or methods of representation in, in political science, and we talk about descriptive versus substantive representation. So descriptive representation is that which you feel you are represented because they look like you, they act like you, uh, they're farmers, right, just like you, or they're a white man, just like you, or whatever it may be, or they hold the same values, they they practice the same religion. Therefore, you can be lumped into the same categories with this person. Therefore, that's who you're voting for, right? That's the person. Uh, and, and then you have substantive representation, which is essentially, I have a basket of preferences. I want that basket of preferences exhibited via policy out in the world. Uh, and that, that's accomplished via legislation and, and, and different uh, initiatives and, and executive orders and so on and so forth. Um, so does it come, is, it, is that as simple as that? Is it, is it as simple as... Um, the, the the kind of Trump wing of the Republican Party has this this intense focus on descriptive representation, right? When you talk to a Trump voter, what do they tell you? He well, he's the only person who speaks up for people like me. He's he represents us, the little person, the un the unheard person. What was the the phrase they used all the time? The the silent majority. Oh, that was it. Yeah, the silent majority. The silent majority yeah, was yeah, tossed yeah. around all the time. But they use that phraseology because they understand that the substantive representation for a lot of these folks isn't going to happen because they don't spend the time to look at the policy. They don't spend the time to research the issues. When you ask some of these folks, why do you think that to be true? Why do you think uh, Democrats are, are against your best interests? Why do you think the policies of the Biden administration are hurting you in some way? They can't come up with a legitimate answer. They can't. And it, it, the, any conversation where you, where you try to interject with, with facts and data and, and rationality, it almost always devolves. So that kind of brings us to the next point. Yeah, that picked all that up. <laughs> Go ahead, Jacob. <laughs> By the way, one of my favorite lines from last week. I left it in there. I, I really tried to. I turned the volume. Sarah on. died laughing. <laughs> Did she? Because you he finished or you finished a point. Somebody finished a it point. It was Luis talking about yeah. how it, the childcare <laughs> providers allow me to do what I do. <laughs> Click. <laughs> so she got it. I turned it up. Oh yeah. I literally turned the volume. Oh yeah. And I, 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 when I was it. listening on my drive to Des Moines, I noticed it, and I was like, "Oh my god, that was perfect." <laughs> 
it's so much fun. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, go uh, ahead. So, so that kind of brings us around to the next point of why is it that these democratic policies are failing in rural America and or or they're not embraced by rural Americans, right? And Kellen, you can elaborate on this because you you wrote a blog post about it um, with regards to the fact that uh, rural America has a, a woke problem. Yeah, I I, I think so. And and I mentioned this in the blog post, right? I'm, I'm the Wait, I'm, a woke yeah problem. Yeah, James Carville went on about this a week or two ago, and since then it's gotten some some traction in in uh, discussion circles and whatnot. But at the end of the day, you're starting to see in the Democrat Party they're realizing that in places like Henry County, where we, where we're we're recording this episode from, in rural America, we're losing ground, right? We went from 62.1% for Trump in 2016 to 64.8% in 2020. Well, nearly right. 65% of the county. We lost two Democratic state senators from the region. Overall, the, the state moved closer to the Dems. It was 9.6% margin for Trump in 2016 in Iowa, 82 in 2020. But in places where we live, that shift was largely in, rural, or in urban areas. You had a lot of turnout in Des Moines and Iowa City and Cedar Rapids. Six counties. Right. Six counties. But here in, in, in red rural America, the, the, the trend is the opposite direction. Uh, so the, the, really the question is why, right? Why, when we're talking about these things like portability of health care, when we're talking about child, uh, child, child care, when we're talking about education policy, all these things, even just in general health care policy, not just portability of benefits, but in general healthcare policy, we're talking about things that you ask people, you poll people on this, and you say, who do you trust more, the Democrats or the Republicans? By by and large, people say, for these domestic-related issues, I trust the Democrats, but not in rural America, right? And if you if you talk to folks in rural America and you try to bring them to a discussion of economics and pocketbooks, it all it, like it it doesn't go that direction, right? So so how do we get there? Like how do we this this woke problem that you just referenced and that 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 James Carville uh, has has been going on about lately, essentially is saying we are focused on the wrong things. We have to get candidates and messages out there in particular places, different from the candidates and messages that are out there in urban areas. They have to they they have to have a different approach to the constituency. And I'm starting to believe it. The more and more I interact with, with party officials and the more and more we interact with, with guests we bring on our show and, and folks that are tuned in, the more and more I hear that it's a personal connection that you have to make with these folks. It's, it's somehow relaying, somehow connecting with them and then relaying to them, hey, uh, there's a problem. We can fix it together. Let's go do this, Right. And, and there's that link that's not there in rural areas. For Democrats. For Democrats. Democrats are not making that link with rural voters in the way that Republicans are. Now, how are they doing that is the question. And it's, it's all culture wars. How, if you flip on right-wing conservative media right now, what are they talking about, Right. I don't know. I don't watch right-wing news media. But, but we touched on last week. Trans athletes right. is a big one that's yeah, so, completely fabricated. So, so that's a prime example. Right. And I'm going to probably get crucified for this, and I don't care. <laughs> but 
a 25-year-old from Chicago is going to jump on the bandwagon the second that they hear any candidate or any person say something derogatory about trans people. And that's not to say that they're not wrong, but the 50-year-old blue-collar worker in rural America doesn't give two shits. Right. No, they no. just don't give two shits. And it's not because they're hateful, spiteful people. It's just that it doesn't impact them. They, they, they don't. Right. They don't know anybody that's trans. They don't know. They, they, it's not an issue that impacts them. Right. And so when that becomes a big topic of debate on the national stage, they're looking at it going, but I lost my collective bargaining rights and my health insurance has yeah. tripled. Why are we not talking about that? I really don't care about somebody wanting to change their sex. Right. So, so here's my question then. Because I agree with you. I'm not going to crucify you. And, you know, I'm a big LGBTQ. No, but I know kid. some of our listeners well. It might. But it, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him straight up, guys. Like, he's not wrong with what he's saying. The, the vast majority of rural voters, it's not a big issue for most of them. And there's enough other stuff that's bad in their lives that they want addressed. And Democrats are not addressing those things. No, and they're not going to care. They are not. That 50-year-old blue-collar worker is not going to care if, you know, we'll just use Biden because he's in office. If Biden signs a, a, a bill project protecting transgender athletes, they're not going to care. Right. Like, they're not going to get outraged about that. Right. But as long as they're doing the other things with the economy that they care about, fine. Right. And But that's the thing that we're seeing in, you know, our discussions that we have with, with you know, especially hardcore Republicans is that, well, it's just destroying the economy. Yeah, it's just destroying the economy. I mean, uh, for Christ's sakes, we, we've got people that literally believe the president manipulates commodity prices, and it's ridiculous. Right. Right. They win these people over with the culture wars, right? It's guns and Jesus and smoked meat. Right. Smoked meat. <laughs> so let's go there, though. Let's go there, though, because I, I, I don't know if that's true. I think it's what Democrats like to think, because it, it it it's it's righteous. It feels good. It, it's it's it makes us feel better about ourselves. But I do wonder if it's more about there's nothing to connect with on the Democrat side. They don't feel like they belong. No, and that's 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 exactly the point. I mean, as a as a lifelong Democrat, I can honestly sit there and say that there's been a number of times that I've stood back and went. Why are we dying on this hill? But th this is why the culture war issues work for Republicans, because it gives them a sense of belonging, right? It gives them that sure, club yeah, to, yeah. to join on to. Even if they don't truly, if they ever thought about it, they really don't care about trans athletes. Plus, if you drum up oh. enough rage, it they don't pay attention to their economic policies. Right, right. And then, and then it's just really easy, especially in today's age of social media, and then, you know, having the most dishonest president in U.S. history, when you just come out and say, well, Democrats are destroying the economy and, you you know, you make up some bullshit meme that right. that cites, you know, these ridiculous percentages and numbers. Right. Uh, then then you're just even more outraged. Right. Oh, my God. The price of gas is three dollars a gallon. And it wasn't that much a year ago when nobody was fucking driving their cars. Right. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> and there wasn't a cyber attack on the, the country's largest pipeline. I, I just think today's GOP, today's Republican Party, they don't have anything to offer. They really don't. They don't have anything to offer. The only policy idea they've had in the last 10 years were the same old tired trickle-down economics that they passed in 2017. And other than that, there's been no big, bold initiative coming out of the Republican Party other than what, build a wall? Throw kids in cages? Like, I don't know. What do you point to that the Republicans have done since in the last decade or that they've even championed forget done because they weren't in power all that time but they did have power for quite some time right what did they do with it and you know we waited for years under obama for them to to come around and try to come to the table and and compromise on things it never happened right we get to trump and it was just all what tax cuts for the wealthy Border walls, kids in cages. And executive orders. And executive orders, which are now, like, right, the tables have turned, and right. now Biden's swizzling the pen like crazy, and executive orders all of a sudden are awful again. But what is it? What is the Republican idea in the last 10 years? It's it's owning the libs. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking is and, and, that's the, the belonging. You're in the tribe, right? You get to put the jersey on. You get before, to put the team jersey on. Before somebody comes back and says, well, you're just trying to own the Republicans, that's all you're doing is trash-talking them. No. No, we're it's not. not. We're pointing out the fact that there's been no reasonable effort to do anything for Americans. And if you can prove us wrong, point by is, God, get on one of our social media accounts and prove us wrong. Right. I, I want to see the what, what they've done in the last 10 years. Don't don't post your bullshit copied and pasted memes. Yeah, no. Right. Don't do come, come at us with actual facts. And in contrast, the American Rescue Plan, the American Families Plan, the American Jobs Plan. Three. One's already passed, and the other two are going to pass. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm sorry, but this 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 stuff pulled us out of the Depression. Right. Yeah, it did. And, and if you look at any, you just you just Google this stuff, folks. It's not hard. Just, just go to whitehouse.gov. It's right. It literally well, bullet points even, them for yeah, you. Yeah, even skip the the policy details. Right. Just go look at what the economists are saying about the trajectory of the economy based on on these things, and they're saying we're back to pre-pandemic economic levels by the end of Q1. Right. Right. Which happened, and then. Now, all of a sudden, we're talking about, oh, GDP is growing at a clip of 3.7% year over year. That is unheard of if, you were, if we were sitting here having this conversation a year ago in the midst of, of COVID-19. The economy is collapsing around us. The, the world economy is falling out beneath us. And now we're, we're back, right? We're back to where we were. We're not back to where we were if we didn't make these bold steps. And we if our if our economy was actions. tanking, we wouldn't have to be ending the unemployment benefits because right everybody needs workers. Right, the economy's not tanking. <laughs> so right. so let me be devil's advocate there because often people say the economy's not tanking because look at the GDP and look at the growth of the stock market. But I think we've all come to realize that that is not a good indicator of the health and welfare of the American people. That's a good indicator of the wealthiest right. who are invested in all that stock. The stock market, for sure. For so, sure. so how do we counter that? What's what's proved to me 
that we are back to normal levels because it doesn't feel like it here. We're not. As we're not small back businesses to, close left and right. We're not back to normal levels yet. We're okay. we're heading in that direction. Okay. Um, the gains we've made could easily be wiped out if we don't support and pick up everybody at the same time. They're, we're bottom heavy. Right, but I'm channeling right my inner inner Bernie right now. Yeah. So let, let's go there for a second. Yeah, we need to do I more. What what gains have we made? Small businesses well, COVID, are closing left and right across yeah. rural America while our GDP is doing great. Right. Like, how is that a gain? The, the not a gain. Yeah, no, it's not a gain. We're we're yeah, it's not a gain at all. We've 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 made a lot of loss. We're gaining back some of that loss now. Is what, what's happening. what do you mean? What, what well, do you mean through, by gaining back? Is through, that the stock market? Or are no, you no, talking no. about people having good paying jobs? Right. So through the relief plan, having funds available for small businesses that need to get back up on their feet, right. uh, having the ability to reopen with the appropriate safety measures, uh, having people that want to go back to work because they realize, A, that they're going back to a place that'll pay them a living wage, but also, B, they're going back to a place that cares about their safety. Right? Fair. Yeah. Those kinds of things are starting to happen now. There's more we need to do. We need to invest in our infrastructure. We need to invest in education. We need to invest in, in early childhood uh, education and, and child care. These are the other things that haven't been passed yet. But weren't those calculations that those economists are coming up with in terms of recovery and timeline and so on based on unemployment benefits being available from the federal government through September? And now we have Republican governors it, left and right cutting those. It depends on what you're talking about. If you're sure. talking about the, the GDP numbers, no. No, I'm not. I'm talking yeah. about your day-to-day -day average Jolene. Right. How, how's she doing? Uh, consumer confidence is back to a pre-pandemic level. That's an important indicator. Okay. Um, consumer confidence is a measure of both how are you personally doing as well as how do you think the rest of the country is doing as well. Um, that would be one indicator. Sure. That would take into account unemployment. Yeah. Okay. Democrats generally shepherd the economy through hard times better than Republicans do. It's because they're always stuck with the fucking down. The shit that the Republicans <laughs> yeah, created. And exactly. But go ahead. Sorry. But but, ahead. but there's that aspect of it. And there's the aspect that this is yet another culture war political stunt. That there's all these lazy ass people sitting out there uh, that just don't want to work. And by God, if we take their employment benefits away, we won't have any trouble filling these jobs. You know what? Go get your shot. And get herd immunity, and I guarantee you a lot more people will want to work. Of course. I mean, how, how that to me is the most obvious factor yep. that and COVID the, Kim is overlooking. That, the fact that she completely ignores that yeah. shows that it's nothing more than a political stunt. Exactly. Nothing more than that. To the detriment of her own citizens. At, at some point we get a... So you chamber leaders, when you're out there listening to this, like, why aren't you lobbying her for that? Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly, chamber leaders. Why aren't you lobbying her for that? If you want, if you want to open your businesses back up full, full blown, you want to get back to normal. We want to have people in the streets and shopping on Main Street and, and doing the things we used to be doing. You should be lobbying for vaccines, not cutting unemployment benefits, especially when those benefits amount to thirty-three million dollars a week between now and September. That would stimulate our economy. Republicans are just taking that pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality that they take all the time, almost ignoring the fact that we just went through one of the worst crises in U.S. history with this pandemic. We're in this together. We're not here to prove ourselves and be able to fight ourselves out of the ring or get to the king of the mountain. We're just trying to survive. And it's hurting. These Republican policies are hurting rural America.
But again, how do we get our Republican friends or, or independent friends who always vote Republican to, to, to hear that, to see the actual facts and the data that shows Republicans are wrong and that these Democratic policies are actually based on real science that'll work. The good news is today is our guest. We have Lisa Fleshman, who's actually had some success in this area. Lisa wrote a book called Boots on the Ground that is about her and her friends uh, running a campaign for Pete Buttigieg in Warren County, helping to take his campaign from a no-name also-ran to, to winning the Iowa caucuses. It really an incredible feat if you think about it. And they had success getting through to Republicans and independents and moderates to get them to move over to caucus for Pete Buttigieg. So we're going to go ahead and patch her in now. Hey, Lisa, welcome to the show. Uh, we're going to get right into it with you. Uh, you are a convert. You were a Republican turned Democrat, uh, and you got heavily involved uh, at some point uh, in a way you never thought you would. Uh, tell us about that, because we were really inspired by your book. Sure. So uh, uh, my husband and I, somewhere in, I don't know, right after 2016, um, we decided that, you know, we don't know what we're going to do, but we need to get involved in some way, shape or form. Uh, we were always go along to get along kind of people. Uh, whoever was governor was governor. Whoever was president was president. We didn't really involve ourselves in matters that we felt like we couldn't control anyway. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that story is so common that anybody can relate to it. Um, my husband wasn't even registered to vote. I mean, I voted, but he, you know, he, he was of the opinion of, well, what's one person, what, what doesn't matter. And so after the events of 2016 and, and as we watched what was happening uh, throughout, well, really throughout our nation, I guess, um, we said, you know, we have to get involved in some way, shape or form. But that really solidified itself after the, after the Trump uh, tax plan, which for us as small business owners hit us really hard. We had always, you know, depended on particular uh, deductions and, you know, that kind of thing to really help us along. And after, you know, the taxes changed under Trump, that simply didn't happen. Hmm. And we went from, you know, having a and remember our our income, our house, where we lived, where we worked, nothing changed. And we went from getting thirty five hundred bucks um, back uh, at tax time to writing a check for four thousand dollars. So an almost eight thousand dollars swing wow. in our taxes. And I remember it was a Friday night that we got our taxes done. And we were getting in the car and my husband was very, very quiet as we got in our head. And I said, hey, do you want to go out and get dinner? We're in Des Moines. You know, maybe we could get something to eat. And he was like, nope. I was like, okay, he's having a moment. We'll just let that go. So we came home 
And I was in the kitchen. I was fixing, you know, a little something to eat or whatever. And I finally went into his office and I was like, hey, babe, what are you doing? And he said, I'm learning how to register to vote. Wow. So that was our first point of involvement in the political process right there. Love it. So let's let's go there. Let's start talking a little bit about that experience and, and the process there. We talk a lot about, I think you mentioned in our last episode, Jacob, about how it feels like rural Republicans or even just rural voters continue to support the GOP and Republicans who whose policies are absolutely not beneficial for their small businesses, for for their ag-related uh, industries and so on. Uh, you have an example of where that actually happened. It sounds like, at least under the Trump administration, do you do you see that across the board? I know you. With we'll get into your your campaigning with for Pete Buttigieg here shortly, but it sounds like you heard a lot of stories uh, similar to that as you met with people door to door. So do you see? Did you do you see cases where those policies have actually hurt rural America instead of helped? In addition to your own, this last year has been horrible i would say for people uh but certainly it wasn't like the other three years preceding it were great either and so um yeah there's been a lot of conversations with folks of you know hey what do you really believe in um what's important to you and are you better now than you were five years ago are you really We know small business owners that supported him all the way through that. And, and it, that's the, I think that's the, the hardest thing that we, we constantly talk about is how do you get through to these people? You had some success there, it sounds like. Well, I mean, I think really what it came down to was we made a commitment to go everywhere and talk to everyone. Wait, wait, and wait. Every, everyone? Things, like everyone. Even we have neighbors everyone. whose entire houses are painted in T-R-U-M-P. Did you go to those houses too? Oh, God. Those were my favorite houses. <laughs> I loved them. <laughs> I love it. Love I it. loved them. They were great. I loved them. Uh, so, uh, so I only got to be a trainer one time when I was out, you know, in the field. Um, I had a, I had a, I had a new trainee with me and we were going to go out and knock on doors. And there's this house we pull up to it's on the list and they had a four by eight huge Trump sign across the front of their house bolted to the front. Oh man. Okay. And she looks at me and she says, we're not actually going there. Right. (laughs) I was like, I was like, hell yes, we are. And it's your turn to knock on the door. (laughs) We're doing it. We're going there. Nice. We're going to talk to them. We're going to ask the important questions. We're going to, we're going to ask them with truth, boldness and belonging what they actually think. And then if we can find a point of agreement, then we're going to invite them to come back with us. Nice. And that's what we did over and over again. Truth, boldness, and belonging. 
So yes. that's fascinating. Can you can you go into what that mean what that meant to you as an as an organizer? Uh, truth, boldness, and belonging. So we operated within Buttigieg campaign uh, on a on a set of principles they called the rules of the road, and this was basically a set of organizational principles around how we would treat each other and how we would treat everyone in our community. Uh, and for me, and, and there are actually 10 of them, uh, but the most important ones to me were always truth, boldness, and belonging. Truth, because, well, if you're a liar, people can see it coming a mile away. And by the way, that's, you shouldn't be lying to people. Right. Uh, boldness, because if you're not willing to knock on that door that has that big Trump sign out front, how are you ever going to make a connection to them? How can you ever have an, a point of agreement? How can you ever um, make it so that you can ever agree on anything going forward? And then, of course, belonging is simple. Um, and we're seeing this in the Republican Party, straight up. Um, if people don't have a place to belong based on their positive virtues, they will find a place to belong based on their fears. Sure. So let's – can I, can I uh, just want to kind of – um, drill down into that a little bit more. The ability for for white rural people to belong is that is that something that was being exuded by the candidate? Or is that something that is more the campaign and the people who made up the campaign? Is it more the kind of coherent message that the two combined are putting out? What what's the how, how does that translate when you're standing there on the doorstep? Are you are you spending more time talking about Pete, or are you spending more time talking about the message? I'm just trying to trying to picture how that conversation. Because I think if I try to picture how a conversation with some of our neighbors would would end up, it wouldn't it wouldn't be uh, either of us obtaining a sense of belonging. That's that's probably not <laughs> what's going to happen. So um, what was their approach? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. What, what is yeah? What's the approach when you're when you're on the doorstep and you're and you're doing this? Okay, so let's say that um, I ring the doorbell. Ding dong, right? And they answer the door, and I say something like, Hi, my name is Lisa. I'm your neighbor from up north, and we're here asking folks if they plan on voting. Okay? Mm -hmm. Pretty basic approach. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I do plan on voting. Great. Um, I've got this big list of people. On, on my clipboard here, uh, who are you planning on voting for? Do you have a favorite? I'm going to vote for Trump. And then the next question out of my mouth is always, why? And then I just wait. Huh. I want to hear the answer. Yeah. yeah. I want to know why. And I genuinely want to know mm -hmm. why that is. Well, he speaks for us, or he, you know, says this, or he says that, or, or whatever, whatever thing that people say, okay? Um, and I would never, ever say, oh, well, you're wrong. No, 
that's new. Sure. Instead, I want to find that point of commonality. I want to build that bridge. You know, so for instance, uh, I remember uh, distinctly, I went to this house uh, in rural New Virginia. And uh, they're like, we don't vote for socialists. I'm like, well, thank God I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> did you have like a Buddha judge shirt on when you're there? Like, did they yes, know you're, this I did. I had Pete from? buttons. Yes, yeah. I had Pete buttons all over me. I was all decorated. Nice. Um, you know, uh, you know, we don't we don't vote for socialists. Well, neither. Thank God, neither do I. Woo. Right. Good. Um. But hey, neighbor, you know, I need your help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, and what I need your help with is, you know, I need to, you know, get folks out to vote. I need folks to vote for my guy. And, you know, I hope you'll help me do this. And remember, I'm at a house where they have the Trump flag flying above the American flag. Right. And I'm just like, you know, hey, let, let's talk about some stuff that matters. Mm-hmm. And so we did. Uh, when you have those kind of conversations, you genuinely can say, hey, look, I agree on that. You agree on that. Come help me make this thing happen. Come help me. We can do that, right? We're neighbors. I have a, a kind of follow up on that then. So uh, then then I I'm, I'm wondering it, it it sounds like you're not you're not afraid of anybody uh and not afraid to talk to anybody, not afraid to reach out to anybody. Um and I guess I guess what I'm what I'm trying to get at is how do you how do you walk that line with the folks have you ever walked up to a house and just had somebody go off on you? I mean I, I just find it very difficult to imagine a Pete supporter canvassing in our neighborhood and knocking on certain doors and not having yeah, I, I, to like give an you, altercation. To give you some context, we were actually talking shortly before we, we got on the interview with you. And, um, you know, a lot of people associate political discourse with what happens on social media. Mm-hmm. And and the, the fact that people tend to be a little brave more more uh a little more bold in in what they'll say on social media versus what they'll say to somebody's face the the overwhelming prevalence of of anger that you might see on a social media post does that translate to when you would have these conversations with people did you did you encounter a lot of hostility and anger from people uh yeah but not from republicans <laughs> really <laughs> interesting um, so from Republicans, uh, generally speaking, um, uh, so to be fair, I had exactly one door I knocked on that I wished that I hadn't mm-hmm. one time. Uh, and I knocked on doors from, uh, July to, well, caucus day. Mm-hmm. You know, so from July, you know, all the way up into uh, the next year. Um, what I would say is that 
for the folks who might not have agreed with me, that you could always temper those, I guess, interactions with a little bit of humor, uh, with a little bit of, you know, hey, look, you agree with this. I agree with this. Let's just go do it. You could do that. Um, and I still believe you can. Um, I was never, ever afraid of my Trump-loving neighbors. What were they going to do? Take away my birthday? <laughs> what were they going to do? Fair enough. Yeah. I like it. So where do we go from here then? You know, one of the th reasons I'm excited to, to read your book all the way through is, is you laid a little bit of a blueprint that we've been looking for and discussing with other guests of how do you activate what is a, a pretty apathetic voter base uh, in rural Iowa specifically. Uh, what we found has been relatively apathetic. People don't like talking about politics. They don't like getting engaged. If you bring it up, they don't want to talk to you. They want it's, to move on to the latest football game or whatever it is. It's exactly what she said. Go along to get along. Right. There's right. So where do we go from here? How do, how do we engage people politically, get them active to pay attention to what's going on and actually vote on behalf of, of their, their communities and, and, and others in a rural community over the next couple of years before the next midterm and before the next presidential election? It's simple. Give them a place to belong and give them an active thing to do that okay. matters. Not stupid busy work, something that actually moves the needle forward. So let's say, as an example, revitalizing the community park. Sure. Well, how do you get people involved? Well, we need somebody to go in and weed the gardens and plant the flowers and mow the lawn and do all these things. They're very concrete, tangible things. So that when they're done with that task, they can say, I did that thing. Right. The same thing is true in politics. So what is the tangible thing that you're inviting people to do? What are you doing? You know, I mean, is it setting up an office? Is it, you know, knocking on a hundred doors? Is it, you know, putting up, you know, brochures? What is it that you're doing? And how is it that they feel emotionally attached to that thing that you're asking them to do? What are they passionate about? Right. And if you can find the thing that people are passionate about, I think uh, always it comes back to the question of why. Why do you think this? And if you can figure out the why, then even if somebody who seems so opposed to you that they're miles apart from you, you can still find that bridge. And if you can do that, um, then you can invite them to come with you and say, hey, you know what? I'm really worried about our rural schools too. I'm worried about that. So come and help me neighbor to do this thing for our schools or come and help me neighbor to do this thing 
for the elderly in our community. Come and help me and do this thing to do this and that. And when you can do that, you can expose people to new ideas. And that's how you change hearts and minds. I like it. Let's try to, can we segue a little bit over to issues? Let's talk a little bit about about issues. One one thing, whenever we have conversations, whenever I've had conversations, especially recently, uh, with party officials, with uh, uh, activists, with organizers, uh, one thing that comes up repeatedly, especially after 2020 and and uh, everything that happened in Iowa, is that the uh, that the Democratic Party as a whole has moved away from rural voters, and a lot of this has to do with uh, how they're prioritizing certain issues messaging on certain issues. Um, there was recently a piece in the Washington Post uh, talking specifically about Burlington and down here in Southeast Iowa and how uh, they, they kind of profiled the county Republican chair and the county Democrat chair, spent some time with the county Democrat. New York Times, I think, wasn't it? The was it the New York Times? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, talked a lot about how the, the flip down here from blue counties, especially Des Moines and Lee County, had been pretty reliable blue counties, uh, particularly because of the union presence there. Um, away go the unions. Uh, talked about how a particular case uh, backhoe factory in Burlington went from more than 3,000 employees to making 70,000 a year to... 300 and change employees making 16 bucks a year. Uh, just a dramatic yeah, okay. shift in, in terms of the labor, the labor market in, in that area. Um, and, and really down here we haven't recovered, right? So, so a lot of what I hear from, from activists, from party leaders, from folks we've been chatting with is we're, we're messaging improperly. We can't have one message for the mm -hmm. Chicago Democrat uh, that applies as well to the Burlington or the Mount Pleasant Democrat, right? So I'm wondering if you if you could um, speak a little bit about um, how you view that. Is the is there is part of the connection we can make? So so in our area, what's most important is reaching out to independents. Uh, we have more independents than we have Democrats, and nearly as many independents as we have Republicans. Um, just in terms of the numbers, if Democrats want to do anything in Henry County, we have to get to independents. Um, so how do you, how do you view that? Um, just, just based on your background and, um, your campaigning with Pete, I, it, it, you would strike me as more of a moderate if we had to put you on a spectrum. Um, you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, but, but how do you see that in terms of the democratic party moving forward in rural areas? Well, I mean, it's really simple. Um, the Pete plan, uh, was extraordinarily effective and we won. Mm -hmm. Right. That's it. Uh, we crushed it in Warren County, which is a very rural, very red county. Mm -hmm. And we and we did so as a team across, you know, across Iowa, uh, which was extraordinary for a guy from Indiana that nobody had ever heard of with no budget, no office, no nothing. So those principles of respect, belonging, truth, teamwork, boldness, responsibility, substance, discipline, excellence, and joy, right? That, that's the whole, that was the whole framework. In terms of what do we do going forward, 
um, I genuinely believe that um, not talking to Republicans is a mistake. That's a mistake in a red county. And the reason that I say that is because, you know, there are a whole lot of Republicans who can't stand what just happened to Liz Cheney today. Mm -hmm. They don't like it. There are a whole lot of Republicans who couldn't stand what Donald Trump was about. There were a whole lot of Republicans that didn't enjoy kids being in cages, who didn't like their taxes going up, who didn't like a whole lot of other host of issues that are going on within that party. Um, so I think you still reach out to them. Yes, obviously, you reach out to the independents and, you know, and to the base Democrats, clearly. Um, but a large majority of my time when I was volunteering, I spent talking to Republicans over and over and over and over again. And the results of that work became apparent on caucus night because so, they showed up and they voted. So th let's go there for a second then, because there is a little bit of discrepancy there in that statement. You talk to Republicans, Republicans aren't part of the Democratic caucus. So did you have people switch parties and come in and caucus? On yes. Really? Yeah. Oh, oh God, yes. Wow. Oh, God, yes. Uh, so uh, at our, our, our Warren County and Madison County team, uh, between the two of us, probably we had 100 volunteers who did something some of the time, right? Sometimes people did something once a week. Sometimes people did something multiple times a week. But let's just call it, you know, the once a week volunteer. Uh, of those people, 80% uh, of them were first-time volunteers, had never volunteered for anything in their life. 30% were Republicans. Wow. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. So, and that's how we won. Mm -hmm. That's impressive. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Uh, so if, if you don't mind, I, I wouldn't mind touching on the fact that this was the first gay presidential candidate in Pete Buttigieg. How did that go over with those said Republicans? Did you find that that was just sort of a culture war thing that people really didn't care about that much? And they, they were more focused on other issues. Did it come up? Uh, during those conversations, like how did that how did that play out in a lot of your conversations? So when I would talk to people, you know, on their front porches, or when I would talk to people in my community, um, everybody was super quick to say, "Well, I don't care that he's gay," huh. but other people might care, right. and then I would just ask why. Why would they care? If you don't care, why would they care? Right. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. And as it turned out, nobody did. Yeah. I mean, remember, Iowa, one of the first in the nation for gay marriage. So I think that we're pretty – I'm not going to say we're perfect, and I'm not going to speak for the LGBTQ community. I'm not going to do that. 
that's not my place. Uh, but I would say that generally speaking, people in Iowa are pretty good at minding their own business. Sure. Tell me about, um, tell me about your book. What inspired you to, to write it? Uh, obviously you had an incredible experience with this campaign, but in particular, you felt you had a story to tell. Um, that was new and unique. And it sounds like it was. People are buying your book. People are really excited about your book. Uh, it may show us a new uh, a new path forward in terms of, of rural organizing um, or even just a rejuvenated path forward of rural organizing. What inspired you particularly to, to write this book and what are your hopes for it? Uh, so the book itself actually came out of this brainstorm that we had with our little local team, Pete. Um, it was made very clear to us pretty early on that our team was built on purpose to last and that the expectation was that we would go out and change our communities for the better, which was a totally different thing than what you hear out of normal campaigns, right? Campaigns come and go out of Iowa. We all know this. And once they move along, they kind of evaporate. Uh, but with the team Pete, uh, they, they said, you know, we gave you all the tools. We taught you how to organize. We taught you how to do all these great things. And when we leave here after caucus night, we want you to go out and do something really, really positive in your communities. And so after caucus, um, I was, you know, talking to some of my teammates and at that point, you know, Pete had, you know, dropped out. Unfortunately, we weren't able to go to the distance, but um, we were talking about, okay, well, we want to do, you know, X, Y, and Z in our community, but you need money. How are we going to get money? And so we were kind of brainstorming around that whole idea, you know, do we do a nonprofit? Do we do this? Do we do that? And I said, hey, what if I write down our experiences that we had and the lessons we learned and how we did it? And mm -hmm. then we donate all that money into these causes we're talking about. And so that's exactly what happened. Love it. Yeah, one one uh, one piece of your book really stood out to me, and, and now that we've had a chance to chat a little bit, it, it, I was just thinking about it again as I'm I'm flipping through it here. Um, you speak a little bit about an, an experience you had with a I think it was a training a group of trainers, um, and you were paired up into groups and had to tell uh, relate a, a personal story. And could you elaborate a little bit on that? It seems like there's a really good lesson uh, many of us could learn from from that experience that you describe in your book and and from what you've said here on the on the podcast. I went to a, a training event uh, called the Pete Summit. They, you know, the trainers there were, you know, they were trying to keep everything extraordinarily upbeat. Uh, they definitely wanted everything to be high energy and and so on and so forth. But one of the things that they really stressed in that training, which is extraordinarily important, if you are out knocking on doors. Um, particularly on doors of people who may not be ideologically uh, the same as you, uh, particularly on doors of people who may not look the same as you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, is the story of self. And so the story of self, uh, 
comprises itself in just a couple of parts. Uh, first of all, it has to be about you, the person. Uh, it has to be true. It has to uh, point out an issue or a problem in the system. And then, of course, uh, they wanted it to relate back to the candidate in some way, to a policy or procedure, whatever. So that particular day, I was at the Pete Summit, and um, by that point, I had been trained in the field of various stories of self. And I had a couple of different ones I told based on who I was talking to, where I was at, where I was in the county, you know, if it was my neighbor who knew me personally or if it was a stranger or whatever. But that particular day, I told the story of my friend, Kamsai. Um, and Sai, uh, he was brilliant. He was funny and he was sharp and amazing. Just just a great guy. Just a great guy. Uh, but he had a very uh, relatively rare disease called thalassemia major. And that is a disease that essentially ends up attacking the organs. Uh, there is a treatment for it, but the medication uh, at the time they used to treat that was called X-Jade. And the amount of money it cost at that time was $10,500 a month. This was a guy who made six figures, successful, smart, amazing. <clears throat> he couldn't afford to save his own life. And I was mad about it then. Uh, it's been nearly a decade. I'm still pissed about it. I still am. Uh, because that didn't have to happen. And policy is the reason that that happened. Greed is the reason that that happened. And so as I told this story in front of this room full of 200 people who were looking for the positive, fun, you know, great, inspiring stories, I was just like, and my friend's dead! Um, I just realized that I had all the air out of the balloon and in that moment in time. And when I understood that that had happened, I just wanted to leave. I just wanted to get out of that room. But before I could, all these people approached me and said, you know what, that happened to me too. That happened to my friend. That happened to my coworker. That happened to my neighbor. That happened to my... And all of a sudden, I realized I wasn't alone. And that we could go out and we could change it. We couldn't bring them back. We couldn't bring any of those people back. But we could go change it. And it was a very empowering moment. It really was. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Yeah, I, and that's the, the personal connection, right? The, the tie, the, the personal relationship that has to be built. And I, I, I'm walking away from this, from this conversation with, with Lisa thinking concrete, tangible things, right? Thinking give them a place to belong, give them an active thing to do, um, 
connect with them on a particular message, a particular idea, and, and assign that to action. Something has to happen, right? We can go do this. Come help me do this. Um, I, I think that's all... I think that's all really useful in the in the rural context, right? If we want to get out there and, and talk, if we want to get out there and make a difference, we got to get out there and talk to our neighbors. And all in that big umbrella of belonging, that yeah. idea of belonging. Would that be a fair yeah. fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, you go out there, um, you validate folks when you can. I mean, I have lines in the sand I don't validate, okay? We all have those lines in the sand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with people who are dealing in good faith, you validate where you can. Uh, you voice that unpopular opinion in your red county. Do it. Oh yeah, make I, it happen. I, yep. Voice that unpopular opinion, um, and then you talk about the objection that comes back to you. Right. Why do you think that? Mm-hmm. Why? 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 Why do you think that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last, uh, the really critical component to all of this, as far as I can see, is that you figure out the common ground, because there is some. Maybe you don't think there is, but there is. And then, hey, neighbor, I need your help. Come with me. Come with me. Let's go do this thing together. We can go do this. Who gives a damn what people in D.C. are doing? Let's go do this. And that's how you go out, and um, that's how you go out and win. And that's how you change the world, by the way. That's Boots on the Ground by Lisa Fleshman. Take a look at your local bookstore first. If you can't find it there, check out Amazon. You can definitely get it there. Uh, Some of the profits and proceeds uh, go toward great causes, it sounds like, right, Lisa? All the proceeds from this book go to Helping Hand of Warren County. They go to Crisp of Madison County. They go to Keokota of Warren County. And they go to uh, Heel House of Warren County. I'm keeping just enough money to pay Uncle Sam. Every other dime goes into the community to do something good. So thank you so much for supporting it. Love it. Love it. That's Boots on the Ground by Lisa Fleshman. Thank you, Lisa. And that wraps up this episode of Three Rural White Guys. Be sure to check out our website. We'll have links to all of those great charities if you wish to give to any of them or similar ones in your own areas. Uh, Additionally, check out our Facebook page, Instagram page, and Twitter feed. And we hope to have you back again next week. Thanks, y'all.